faith and the sacraments are not the same thing, but they cannot be understood without each other because we're human. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave, the dialogical nature of the sacramental economy, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> Good, and I, I'm going to keep that one. That, that'll that be it from now on. <laughs> that better be on your tombstone, or I'm going to be upset. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it was funny, yesterday, um, I, I requested like a promotional copy of the... Um, the Bible timeline Bible oh, yeah. from Ascension. And uh it they sent it to Dave the legend Van Vickle. <laughs> and uh which is hysterical, yeah. you know. And um my kids were like, Dad, why why did they say that? You know? And they were like so confused. And I was like, it's like a joke, you know, like it's like I'm like the legend. And they're like, no, I, I just don't understand why they would ever say something like that. <laughs> like it was like so they were so shocked. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. But everyone who listens to the show, they know. They know that you're yeah. a legend. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So Dave got any uh good news? Anything going on? Any any new thing? Yeah. Actually I do. I do have good news. Um, so at last I updated you on Amber. Yes. I think. I don't know. Did I update the the masses or just you? Maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, the last time we got scans, basically the doctors said, you know, there's nothing left to do. From the scans that they had seen, they thought she had days to live. Literally, that's what they said. Wow. They said weeks, but more like more likely days. And um, when we were in the office, we were so shocked when they said that because I said to them, you know, like, I don't understand. She's been eating more. She's been like on the treadmill every night. Like, this seems strange. And they said, well, that is weird. And and they said, what do you want to do? You know, our, we don't think the medicine is doing anything. Amber said, well, I want to keep fighting. I don't want to stop. Let's do another round. Well, the last time we went to the doctor about a month ago, her tumor markers had come down almost 200 points, like a shocking amount, like wow. a shocking amount. And they were down to 108. So that was a month ago. And yesterday we went again. And actually, we kind of expected them to be back up because she hasn't been feeling all that great. And um, they went from 108 down to 25, which are lower than they've been in two years. Holy moly. Yeah. And um, I mean, she's still in a very dangerous situation. She has, you know, massive tumors in her liver, but something's definitely happening. So, um, you know, just thank you for all the prayers and wow and messages. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible uh, what's going on. So it really is. He, he put her on um, a medicine that's off not off label, but it's not for uh, the cancer that she has. And he, he did seem to think that there was some reason that maybe she would benefit from that. And of course she's also doing like a lot of things at home that, uh, like that we got from (laughs) 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 no, like deep breathing. No, um, no, but, uh, from her old doctor, uh, who was doing that, like the experimental stuff, we still do a lot of that stuff. And so anyways, I mean, whatever's going on, we're, we're just thanking God for every minute, you know? So, um, yeah, so good news in the Van Vickle house. For Man, sure. that is incredible. So what happens when the markers get to zero? Well, nobody's markers are at zero, although hers were at one point. Remember when she was doing so good and it was like a miracle? Yeah. At one point, they did get to zero, and they it, that should signify that the tumors are shrinking. 
Mm-hmm. And at some point, like she'd be a candidate for surgery. And that's the goal kind of is to right. cut it out because that's the best, that's your best outcome. Yeah. But I, like, I remember, I remember when she was had, you know, doing really well, they were like around three and I looked it up and it said most humans have like a three. Oh, okay. Of this one particular tumor marker. And wow. and they said like smokers might have an eight or something okay. like that. So yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy. Dude, hey, dude, and that's awesome. and yeah. Listen, I mean, I don't want to jinx it. I mean, I don't believe in jinxing things, but <laughs> but at, as but, you're listening to this, yeah. if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, the Supreme Court is hearing a major case that, in a very real way, that there's a very real possibility that Roe versus Wade might be overturned so, today. So explain explain what that is for people who, let's just say, like me, who doesn't follow the right. news at all. <laughs> Right. Okay. So, and I don't either, but I do care about Roe versus Wade right. a lot. So it won't mean that abortion ends in America tomorrow. That That's not the way it works. You know, what it'll mean is that it will go back to the states. So there will be no federal mandate that abortion has to be legalized. It will go to the states and then we'll have to argue it in the states, which, you know, when I used to be really involved in the pro-life stuff, I remember them talking about this like 15 years ago where they would say like, okay, we have to start making our plan for when Roe versus Wade is overturned so we can go and start fighting it in the individual states. There are like 20 states right off the bat that they think will will outlaw abortion immediately. Yeah. And and that's amazing. Like absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um so we're talking about thousands of lives saved. So yeah, I mean, got to pray, pray, pray. Yeah, I can't remember uh Father David Huss at one of his um second or third homily after the homily uh, <laughs> at the end of mass, he gives two or three homilies every so often. And, uh, one of it was pray, pray, pray for this week for this decision. There's a lot of our parishioners are going to adoration and fasting and stuff like that for the sake of this decision. And Texas had passed a heartbeat law. And so his thing was, we've saved, you know, X amount of thousands of, of babies, and as I'm talking to you, you're drinking out of an incredible Hulk mug. <laughs> what better time? What better time as we Hulk out against uh, the, the desecration of individual lives? Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time, man. It is uh, fascinating how we have ended up here as a country. So um, we should we should like what if like what if we say look, it's happening tomorrow. If it gets overturned, then we'll use that as a fleece that God wants you and I to go like on a resort weekend. Like to just celebrate the the end of Roe versus Wade for those who and the listeners have to pay for it for those who aren't. Uh, number one, I'm all in, but for those who aren't from your crazy charismatic communities, what do you mean by a fleece? <laughs> oh come on, I people have read the no, Bible. No normal people talk like that. No, not a single normal. That's funny person. because you're the second person this week to say that to me, and the other one was a priest. <laughs> and I shamed him. I shamed him greatly. I you know, know the story. I where, know it comes from the where, Bible, but like no one yeah. uses that. In I don't even remember what story it's from. Who 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 do, sets out the fleece? Was it Moses? No, no. Oh, was it? Oh, now I now uh, I'm forgetting and feel like an idiot. I'll, anyways, I'll, it's a way to discern, right? The guy puts a a, a sheep fleece out. And he says, if the ground is wet, but the fleece is dry, then I'll do this. Or Yeah, Gideon, Judge is sick. Gideon, Gideon, yeah, baby. <laughs> I put the fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and now Gormley <laughs> is at a uh, a resort with Van Vickle. 
What resort yeah. would we go to? I get very bored at stuff like that. I'd be happy what? for like a day and oh, a half, me, man. and then I would get so Whoa. bored. No way. I would find a book that I haven't read yet on my shelf, and I would go and sit at the beach, and some you know guy would bring us like fruity drinks that I would never drink in public, and I would just read that book all weekend long. <laughs> so your, your idea of a perfect vacation is you with me. A book, a beach, and a cabana boy. <laughs> well, you well, well, well I, I put had it to that invite way. you. I had to invite you. I know, I know. It had to be someone. Uh, uh, this this weekend, I'll be um, seeing our old friend Adam Robizoli. I'm speaking at oh. Saint Ignatius in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is his parish. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. For those yeah, of you so. who aren't me and Dave, Adam Robizoli was one of the. He's a legend. He is legend. legend. He was. He's a household brother of mine from franciscan and he was a younger guy he was a few years younger than me and when this guy came in we thought this is the nerdiest cool guy who ever lived or the coolest nerd who ever lived. Guy. Yeah, yeah totally i mean the guy ah, oh man and i remember he was uh i think he was a philosophy major and then we all went to austria together and we were we became very very close and he started dating this girl in our group of friends and then they got engaged and he was or he, they were about to get engaged i remember he came up to me and he goes mike I'm going to be a philosophy major and I'm engaged. I'm probably going to marry this girl. I, I got to have like, I got to have like real world skills. Yeah. <laughs> so then he right. get he gets a, like a computer science minor in one semester. He takes yeah. like 21 credit hours, doesn't even own a laptop, has to borrow mine. Yeah, mine. Borrow. He was always on it. He was. He was teaching himself Photoshop and like all these things. Yeah. And I was like, who are you? Number yeah. one, you're successful. Whatever you do in life, you're going to be yeah, successful. Right. So that's awesome. And, and he helps you all with your podcast. That's right. Yeah. yeah he does. Are you guys yeah. coming out with that Hildebrand episode anytime soon? I don't know. The, so we talked this morning. Mike and I talked this morning, and, and we are going to record more. He's just swamped right now. Yeah. So yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Fair as, enough. As we all are. Yeah. 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 But Speaking of getting swamped. Let's talk about the reciprocity <laughs> between faith sacraments and the sacramental economy. Indeed, indeed. Let's do just that. So I went back and I listened to the previous episode. I said this on the Thanksgiving show last week that uh, we we were kind of like giddy and we went through every single paragraph. So hopefully this one, because uh, now I have read this four times, but my problem is I'm not at work. I took a copious amount of nerds, nerds, notes. On nerds. <laughs> I took a bunch of nerds. Nerds are the best. <laughs> notes. <laughs> On post-it notes, right? And on post-its. And I had just the key thoughts on my board. I look like a crazy person if you walk into my office. My dry erase board is covered in post-it notes. Nerds. Just to be able to talk about this without sounding all rambly. But then I left it at my office and we're recording from home. So whoopsie. All for naught. But I have. Uh, I think I think this is going to be awesome. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, 2.1. The Trinitarian God, Source and End of the Sacramental Economy. So this is, again, the document is called The Reciprocity Between Faith and the Sacraments in the Sacramental Economy. It was by the International Theological Commission, group of theologians. It's a very well-respected body of theology, one of whom is someone that Father David and Dr. Mike Cirilla interviewed, Father Thomas um, Winity. And what they did was they wanted to understand, they wanted to take up something that happened in the 70s, another document from the International Theological Commission, and they wanted to reframe it and go deeper into it, which is essentially you have faithless Catholics coming for the sacraments and demanding them. And then you have people who have an experience of a deep interior faith outside of or in spite of or not necessarily correlated to the sacramental life. 
and they want to be able to explain how these two go together. And in the chapter two, so we covered chapter one, which mostly dealt with, um, you know, introduction to the document, but then the, the major crises that we're dealing with. But now we're going into chapter two, the dialogical nature of the sacramental economy of salvation. So we jump right in here. Uh, they uh, they introduce what they're going to talk about in this section, and it's it's a deep like theological introduction. What you would expect from the International Theological Commission, but basically it, the the introduction that they give us just says like, look, that there's a dialogical nature here in the sacraments, and what that means is there's an exchange. Yeah, there's a back there's and an exchange. Forth. There's both sides. Yeah, you can't can't have one without the other. The sentence that kind of hits the head right here is. The dialogical nature of the sacraments calls for an adequate faith in their celebration. Simple as that. That's that that does it for the introduction. Yeah. My my favorite part of how this document unfolds in chapter two is the thing that I have found really excites the faith of of ordinary Catholics, which is to understand the sacraments within the context of salvation history, right? The stuff that Dr. Scott Hahn is known for. I mean, before it was stpaulcenter.com, it was salvationhistory.com. And so in their one-two plan here in the introduction, the first is let's consider the divine economy, how God operates with human beings throughout salvation history. And then the second one, it's let's talk about the sacraments of faith as such and show that intimate connection. So it's really cool because in 2.1, the first section, the the divine economy is how I teach the sacraments. You always have to look at it from this broader theological, like what is God doing in the world? How does God operate? And then part two, obviously, is, okay, well, let's really study this dialogical, this back and forth, this exchange nature of the sacraments. So in 2.1, it's called the Trinitarian God, source and end of the sacramental economy. And this is one of those things that Dave said last week or or, um, two weeks ago that we really need to understand. If we are going to be effective catechists and evangelists, if we are going to be effective lay people, part of our modern responsibility, because we have access to cheap books and all of this stuff, internet reading for free, podcasts, we need to study theology. We need to know yeah. this stuff because the Christian faith is founded on two fundamental principles. Number one, that God is not a solitary monad, but a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And number two, that the second person of the trinity took on his redemptive incarnation, that he entered into the world to redeem human beings personally by taking on a full human nature. So the divine is communicated through the human nature of Christ. That uh, Those twin understandings of trinity and incarnation flows the rest of this whole document if you don't get this you don't get anything right this is and 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 if you and not just for our study if you don't get this you don't get catholicism (laughs) period (laughs) at all at all uh yeah and and even like as i'm reading it i don't know gomer if you had the same effect but it's it deeply enriched my relationship to the church yeah like reading it now this is like the third time i've read this like this it deeply deeply still enriched my relationship to the church oh i so. see you went and bought it you bought it on Amazon. yeah yeah no i found it on my shelf <laughs> i just yeah. walked seven feet over so, that way so, and it was so it's, at, so, at some point i must have bought it yeah, yeah that's awesome yeah so the um chapter 2.1 the trinitarian god is divided into two major um points uh part a which is trinitarian foundation of sacramentality So that goes through the whole understanding of how the sacraments are rooted in God. And then B is sacramentality of creation and history. And so the cool thing about this is 
we we have to start like like all good theologians and philosophers you start by defining your terms so i'm going to just read this real quick and i think you can understand how then rooted in the trinity all this stuff enfleshes it to the sacramental logic so what is sacramentality as a concept belongs the inseparable correlation between a significant reality so sign significant a significant reality with a visible external dimension e.g. christ's whole humanity and then another meaning of a supernatural, invisible, sanctifying character, e.g. Christ's divinity. So when we speak of sacramentality, we refer to this inseparable relationship in such a way that the sacramental symbol, so what it symbolizes, contains and communicates the symbolized reality. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it calls this efficacious signs, the signs that actually cause what they symbolize. And it ends by saying this presupposes that every sacramental reality in itself has an inseparable relationship with Christ, the source of salvation and with the church, the depository and dispenser of Christ's salvation. So the sacramentality as a concept is first the union, the communication of the divine through the human of Jesus's divinity through his humanity. And then the connection between the outward symbol that it communicates what it symbolizes. And finally, that you can't separate Christ from uh, Christ and the church from the sacraments. Yeah. Awesome. I, I, I'm going to move on because you explained it perfectly. Number 17, it talks about the, the root of the sacraments being the triune God. It gets into, uh, we have to understand the economy of salvation, right? You know, you have the, the Trinity, the imminent Trinity, which is father, son, and Holy spirit, always in constant loving family bond, never, Never wasn't, always was. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the economic trinity, which is the fact that the the father loves the son, the son loves the father, the Holy Spirit springs forth from that and catches us in to the son offering himself to the father continually as sacrifice on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is what brings us into that life and continually goes back and forth, drawing us into that mystery. That is the basis with which to understand it. And I'm going to jump in mid-sentence here. It says, which springs from the Trinitarian God, the communion of distinct persons and the unity of a single divine substance, and from the redemptive incarnation in which the eternal word, without detriment to his unrestricted divinity, assumes our humanity with all its consequences. Uh, basically saying that in Christ's humanity, we see in a very real way, without any detriment, he doesn't give up his divinity. He doesn't give up uh, his godness. In that person of Jesus Christ, we see the the second person of the Trinity, and it's real in its reality and its power. I, I love this idea of in Jesus Christ, God takes a human face. So to see yeah. the face of Jesus. And this idea of face comes up later in this yeah, document. Yeah, it comes up later. Yeah, it's cool. To see the face of Jesus is to see the face of God, right? The other day I was uh, on a retreat that our staff, for our whole pair of staff, and it's the first time in eight years of employment that I didn't lead the retreat, so I was very excited. Cool. And um, there was this one part at the end of the retreat where the, he was talking about, our retreat leader was talking about the difficulty in reconciling an all-good and all-powerful God with pain and suffering of God's faithful children on earth. And he said this great line, which was, and he might have been quoting JP too, I don't know, but he said that underneath the, the seemingly irreconcilable is the face of Jesus. 
And when I heard that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about all the suffering and stuff that my wife and I have gone through and all the pain in our family that has happened. And it's this notion that like you want God to take it all away. You don't understand why he isn't. I thought you loved me. I thought you and you have these swirling things within your heart and in your mind of like, how do I reconcile these things? And there is, you know, as, as Pope Benedict would say, behold, the pierced one. Behold, let us look upon the one whom we have pierced. And that was huge for me. So when we think about this within this uh, paragraph 17, the triune God, the root of sacramentality is not just that God is communicating himself to us. In this paragraph, it also talks about what good is it if you communicate and no one hears or receives. And so he's saying, so this is the dialogical nature. God is expressing himself in a human way because that's the only way we can receive it. We have perceiving, experiencing, communicating in a human way. So the sacramental signs and words of scripture have to present God himself, but what we call in theology the divine condescension, that he came down to our level in order to speak to us. But this is the great thing. In, in just talking about faith, when God reveals himself, he does it in a human way. That is something that we can perceive and experience. But then it demands a reception in us. And the reception in us is what we call faith, right? So this is the dialogical nature of just revelation, how the Trinity communicates itself to us. So if we're going to enter into a relationship with Jesus of Nazareth, this means that we are also entering into a relationship to God himself, the word incarnate. Okay, so from this, we're, now they go into paragraph 18, faith as a dialogical reception. Yep, uh, and the, uh, the quote I just loved here in this paragraph was, herein lies the sacramental logic through, God, through which God himself gives himself in the sacraments. And what are they talking about? It says, thus not only does the inseparability of Jesus' humanity with the word of God come into play, but also the reception by believers of this word as divine through the Holy Spirit. So basically what they're trying to say here is this, that it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to see Jesus Christ and to say that's not just a human being. Yeah. And even furthermore, to see the sacraments of Jesus, to see the mass and say that's not just bread and wine. It's not just a symbol. So it's through through the Holy Spirit and so once again, pointing back to this triune, the Trinity as being the source of all this. Yeah. So remember, defining terms, sacramentality, the divine is communicated. The invisible is communicated through the visible, first in the incarnation of Jesus, then in the sacramental life of the church. And in fact, the very nature of the church. So when it talks about faith, God is revealing himself. This is the thing that like on my fourth rereading, I finally was like, oh, that's what they're talking about. It's this paragraph 18. God reveals himself always in a sacramental way. So revelation okay, itself is sacramental. Revelation itself is sacramental. That is God speaks to us in a mode that we understand, Receive, perceiving, uh, experiencing, communicating. This is how God reveals himself. So when we respond in faith, there is that sacramental logic there the whole time, right? Because God is speaking to us in words that we can understand, whether it's scripture, whether it's the actual sacraments, whether it's the church as a whole. And so the Jesus sacramentality, right? His human and divine nature communicates God's love. So to now from the life of the church, it gets deployed, which is right into the next paragraph, the deployment of sacramentality. It gets deployed to us. So faith itself 
is already sacramental. So now what they're going to do is they're going to explain the sacramentality of revelation and balance it with the sacramentality of faith, how we respond. So in paragraph 19, it starts right off the sacramental element. Since revelation happens in a sacramental way, the sacramental element must permeate all believing existence and faith itself. So you have the sacramentality of revelation and then the sacramentality of faith. And I think it is so important to realize we are always working within these two spheres, right? God reveals himself in a mode that humans can receive and we receive it and respond. And it's always sacramental. Yeah, and, it, and, and any attempt to not make it that way is an attempt to get outside of God's plan. Yeah. Right. That he it, part of this is pedagogical. Yeah. Right. That God is God teaches us how to respond to him by by coming to us sacramentally. Right. Yeah. I, I knew so they, they they add in this strange in just to jump back for a second. Uh-huh. They add in this strange sentence in, in paragraph 17 where they say human persons are only capable of perceiving, experiencing and communicating in the human way. And I remember thinking, like, why did they add that in? That's such a strange sentence to put right there in the middle of that paragraph. <laughs> but this is exactly why they're setting the stage to say, yeah. like, look, don't don't try to do it in in any other way. This is what our our faith is. Yeah, we're not angels, and that that comes no, up a little bit right. later in paragraph twenty. We're not angels at all. And so, to that's inc- all I can think about this whole time I'm reading is the angels because of because of this. You know? <laughs> they perceive. In an entirely and a non-sensible way. They don't use right. the senses in order to come to knowledge, right? We human beings need the senses. So when God reveals himself, he always does through the senses. That's why St. Irenaeus, that priests read and, and all those who do the Liturgy of the Hours, they read a morning prayer. The gateway to heaven is the humanity that Christ assumed, right? That's the sacramental logic. And here's a great line that I referenced the face. Only if Jesus Christ is true God can he reveal to us the face of God. But in that case, sacramental communion with Jesus Christ is sacramental communion with God. If the Holy Spirit is true God, then he can open to us God they can he can open us, excuse me, then he can open us to God and introduce us into the divine life through the sacramental signs. Isn't that that's such a classic f- phrase sentence from from yesteryear no one would think that way yeah no one would think that way anymore where they say the if the holy spirit is god then he can give himself to us yeah you know everyone else just thinks like no we just that it just works you know there's not any there's no like economic thinking there anymore and i I love that i'm so happy and, that I, they wrote and that. I think the, the there are two reasons for that one is um in the crises of faith it's the that they talk about in chapter one it's the denigration of the symbolic order right we we don't think symbolically and it's the rise of rational and scientific or scientific um, and technological knowledge. Like when we think of uh, when we think of modernity, we and, and modern times, the Enlightenment, we only think of of the triumph of the scientific mode. But the the authors of this document are trying to get us to see there's more to human knowledge than just scientific rationality or empiricism. And when we try to put God within this empirical uh, notion and that's it, we're, we're going to fail to see the sacraments because you can't take uh, holy water from a baptismal font and see the Holy Spirit inside through analysis, right? Right. right. You can't break open a, a consecrated host and see particles of Jesus's DNA unless it's a Eucharistic miracle. You can't do that. And so the idea is this is a sacrament of faith. 
but you have to embrace the symbolic logic behind it. You have to embrace a broader understanding of what it means to be human, right? We are not just uh, logic machines that respond to inputs with certain outputs and that's it. You know, the rational discourse of scientific knowledge is not the only scientific, it's not the only knowledge that we have. And so sacramentality is meant to root faith and grow faith. And that, and here's the killer line from um, paragraph 19, without faith, the symbols of a sacramental nature do not actualize their meaning. They are muted. They are muted. Sacramentality implies, implies. So it's implicit in the very idea of the sacrament. Sacramentality implies personal communication and communion between God and the believer through the church and the sacramental mediations. Think about that when you're about to baptize a baby uh, into a family that doesn't practice, when you're about to give First Holy Communion to people who don't go to com- uh, go to Mass ever, when you're about to do the sacraments um, or of, of marriage for a couple who in no way, shape, or form practices any faith, right? If there is no faith, the ability of the symbols, the outward signs, to actually communicate what they are symbolizing, right, is muted. Yeah, and and I uh, I'm I mean I know you stopped at that sentence for, but I have to keep going. the The next sentence after that is, and it's beautiful. This is the only reason I'm sharing it is sacramentality implies a personal communication and communion between God and the believer through the church and sacramental mediations. I the reason I bring that up is because. So many of your parishioners, so many of your family and friends will say, um, well, I didn't find Jesus in the Catholic Church. I didn't find him in a Catholic Church. And I didn't, I didn't find a personal relationship with Jesus until I went to this mega church or something like that. This is the opposite of what we're saying because, you know, because Jesus took flesh, that's why you find a personal relationship with him in a church that has smells and bells and sacraments and oils and all these things that take meaning that that's that's a part of that personal relationship and it would be weird to if you put that in any other context right gomer i mean like any other relationship context it would be very strange to say like well i i didn't i didn't find a personal relationship with my wife until i until i stopped you know going through the until i stopped touching her basically you know what i mean that would be strange and that's what basically what we're saying is the sacraments are a way for us to kind of grab onto him, to hold on to him and to love him and to respond in faith to his uh, coming in flesh. Yeah. So we have two more paragraphs left, but before we get to them, let's throw it out to the fine folks at Ascension Press and take a yeah. quick break. Good Remember, questions. Good if question. this is effective to you, we've already gotten a whole bunch of emails from people who are like, Hey, yeah, yeah, really good questions based on this. So, again, the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments, you Google that, it'll take you right to the Vatican web, sh- web page for this for free. Right. Um, when we, But we want you to email your questions. If you like, hey, what the heck did dialogical mean or whatever these words, email us specific questions. So hopefully as the show goes on or we'll take a whole show and just go through some of the questions, we will be right back. If you email us at EKSB at EccentricPress.com, forgot to say that. You go 19, um, I'll go 20. We'll be sure to include that in the future show. All right. And we're back. All right, we got paragraph 20 and paragraph 21, and then we're going to call it a day. That'll wrap up 
uh, this this chapter two point one, the Trinitarian God, and then section A, the Trinitarian foundation of sacramentality. Do you have a personal relationship with the Trinity? Right? No, can, can In you the do sacramental 20? economy? The answer is yes, yes. You're a theologian. You're a theologian. Yes. Theolo- you uh, through paragraph twenty. I would love to do twenty. Yeah, I yeah. So this is the great thing. Immediately we go into the theology of the body. So paragraph twenty is called the correlation of sacramentality with anthropology. Pope John Paul II, in his theology of the body, constantly talked about having an adequate anthropology, and what that really means is an understanding of the human person as an incarnate spirit. Right? Angels are non-incarnate. They are not incarnate. They do not have a flesh, body, anything that is material, right? They are purely spiritual beings. Human persons, on the other hand, are a complementary union between the material, corporeal, the visible, and the spiritual, incorporeal, okay? So, but this is the beautiful thing. The spirit is a soul spirit, a spiritual soul. So what that means is it is bound through the body. It is a union of the body, right? With the soul. You can't separate the two and have a complete human person. It is a complementary union. It is always a union. That is why we have a belief in the resurrection of the dead, because even our souls in heaven gazing upon the divine glory isn't enough for us human persons. Christ raised our, will raise our bodies from the dead. And this is where he goes into the case of the personal face that we mentioned earlier. The case of the personal faith, face, excuse me, which is the expression of a material body, magnificently manifests this union between our material being, the face, and our spiritual reality, the state of mind and personal identification. The face expresses the whole person. And one of the reasons why I love this is there's a great line from uh, I think it's by Sartre, the atheist philosopher who said, uh, no, 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 it was George Orwell. Yeah, At the sure. age of 50, right. every person has the face they deserve, meaning like all your smiles and all your frowns culminate in that. I love that idea. But this is it. This is it. The faith, the face expresses or the, the body communicates the life of the spirit within, right? It communicates that to other persons so that we can have an interpersonal communion. That's what communion is. And so they go on to say in this last part of paragraph 20, the sacramental structure of the divine revelation, right, is leading us into this interpersonal communion with God. Why? Because we know that in human relationships, right, going back to that human way, that the deepest relationships, the deepest encounters that we have are interpersonal, where people are real and honest in their in their brokenness, in their, you know, joys and their hopes and all this stuff. When our deepest encounters with other people or when they are their most interpersonal, when they're not just transactions, right? When it's not kept on the surface level. The deeper we go, the better those encounters. And then he said, and the encounter with God participates in this nature. It's a personal encounter with the Trinitarian God who makes Can himself I, present. I mean, he didn't say that church, one sentence, but I just have to say it. When he says it's, it suits our most radical being. Is that not the best? That, <laughs> that is the best. And, and I honestly, like... For those oh, yeah, of you true. who have I did have just, that. Well, for most of you, so many of you out there have just like found your life in the sacraments of the church. That's exactly how it feels, you know, that it, it suits who you are in your most radical way. Paragraph 21 talks about the sacramentality of faith and and basically this idea that look, the, the faith uh has to be sacramental. It can't just be 
uh, you know, something like spiritual. It has to be a, a real and valid response to the incarnation. Uh, it says, because all Christian faith is a sacramental faith, thanks to the mediation of the church, as we make our pilgrimage to the heavenly homeland, faith is the reception and response to God's sacramental revelation. And faith expresses itself and nourishes itself in a sacramental way. Unbelievable. That if it is not sacramental, it is not a true Christian faith. Everything tends towards the sacramental in the church. It ends with this sac- with this statement. The sacraments, therefore, are configured as a kind of amnestic representation that updates and makes the faith visible. A- anamnestic comes from the, the Greek anamnesis. It means a remembrance. It means the fact that it wasn't just a mythology, that we are actually remembering real deeds, that our God took flesh and came and got us Uh that's that's what that means, and that is a beautiful word to use right there. It also has a meaning as an adjective denoting an enhanced reaction of the body's immune system to an antigen that is related to an antigen previously encountered. <laughs> Anywho, yeah, the, the beautiful reciprocity or the intimate reciprocity between faith and the sacraments. God reveals himself in a sacramental way. God reveals himself in a sacramental way. How? Well, part B goes through salvation history, God the creator, the sacramentality of creation. Then we go into the human body and the sacramental nature uh, in, in an analogical sense of the sexes and the complementarity of the sexes and sexual difference. Talks about this interpersonal communion expressed in this way. So there's that theology of the body point. Um, when you step back and you begin to look at this, the intimate reciprocity is the faith and the sacraments are not the same thing Right, But they cannot be understood without each other because we're human, because we have a body, because we are our bodies, because when God communicates himself through creation, using things in creation to communicate and signify his divine glory, it's so we can receive it. Right, so when you have someone who believes in faith alone, like uh, when I was teaching my my inclusion class, and we were talking about this, I you know we we're going through the idea of salvation by faith and works and all this different stuff. Um, I told the story of, of, of the Baptist story that I've heard a thousand times, and the Baptist story I've heard a thousand times is, I came to Christ to salvation in Christ and accepted Him in my heart as my Lord and Savior, and got saved when I was at summer camp in my junior or senior year of high school. So did my best friend. We go to college, he joins the Red Solo Cup lifestyle and never again comes to church. So is he no longer saved? Because both of us were saved at the same time in the same place. So then you go to your pastor and you say, what happened to him? And then he says, well, he was probably never saved in the first place. And then you have the crisis of faith that that produces. How do I know that I'm saved? Right When it's all just internal, subjective, borderline sentimental response, you are losing part of that sacramental way. You're losing part of that sacramental way. And so the idea for a Catholic is how do I know that I belong to Christ? Oh, do you have faith that he's risen? Yes. And do you or have you been baptized? Right? That is the visible incarnate way that we receive the salvation that faith leads us to. But you don't get baptized if you don't have faith. Right? So you see this internal, intimate reciprocity between faith and the sacraments. Gosh, I could keep going. I want to. I want to so bad. Amen. Amen. <laughs> this has been another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow. Again, 
contact us, EKSB at ascensionpress.com. We love hearing from you. Uh, we'll be praying for you this week. Continue on in your reading. Where What are we going to have them read this week, Gilmer? We're going to have them read. Let, let's keep it easy. Let's keep it easy. Yeah. It's a holiday yeah. season. You know, just read 2.1 Part B, The Sacramentality of Creation and History. Yeah, you're going to love it. Take it. You long. Gonna love it won't it. take yeah. you long. Yeah. God bless you all. Uh, pray for us. We pray for you. All righty. Adios. <laughs>